Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at six foot five. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at BigGirlPoker.com. Well, hello. This is Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker and poker mindset coach. And I have with me today one of my favorite people, one of the most influential women in poker today, and that is Kathy Raymond. Kathy, thank you so much for coming on with me. Oh, my pleasure, Donna. Uh, Kathy, I know that, uh, gosh, we've known each other since 2003 or 2004, and and when you were at Foxwoods, I know that I consider that you are one of the reasons that the World Poker Tour was so successful, because when Steve Lipscomb came to you and said he had this crazy idea about putting poker on TV, you said, I really think this is great, and you were the first casino with it, when you were with Foxwoods to sign up with the WPT, and I want to thank you for that publicly right here. Well, that was uh, absolutely a no-brainer, Donna, um, and you're right. Uh, Steve Lipscomb came to me with a, a flip chart, actually, um, and, you know, talked about the WPT and, and you know, showing the whole cards, and... Uh, I mean, it just absolutely hit me, you know, right between the eyes, and, and uh, I knew that it was something that was going to be very, very good for the industry. And um, it took, uh, in, in the bureaucracy of, of you know, Foxwoods, because, you know, it's huge and uh, things can go rather slow. Um, we were able to finalize that in one day. Wow. Um, yeah, we, uh, I, I just, you know, I said, you know, Steve, wait right here, and I, I grabbed all the powers that be, and I said, you know, you've really got to do this because, this is going to change the face of poker, and it, it absolutely did. Absolutely did. It was uh, it was such a, a great idea, and uh, it caught on, and and it did. It changed the the whole landscape of poker from 2001, 2002, right on. So it was a very exciting time. Oh, I I know. I mean, I, I loved Foxwoods because one of the things about Foxwoods that I liked about it was in 2005. It was the, it was where I cashed in my first WPT main event. It was my first ten thousand uh, dollar entry event, and that was I think season four, if I recall. And I just I I, I love Foxwoods for that. But you have just been a shaker and a mover because I think it was 2006 you moved to Las Vegas as the executive director of the Venetian. Poker Room, it's now called the Sands Poker Room, is that right? That's correct. Um, 2006, I came on board, um, and it is the Sands Poker Room at the Venetian now. Um, we've just uh, undergone a, um, a total remodel of the Poker Room um, and have expanded it to 59 tables, um, a tremendous amount of square footage for any casino to have a poker room in. And um, it's just elegant, it's spacious, um, tons of amenities. Um, and I'm just absolutely thrilled with uh, being able to be the executive director there. Well, I know the Venetian has always been, and now I'm going to call it the Sands, the Sands Poker Room, that has always been one of my favorite places to go for poker. I know that one of the reasons is that during the World Series, you always have um, you always have these deep stack tournaments that, I, frankly, oh gosh, I hope they don't get mad at me, but I, I like them. Uh, almost better than the World Series events. Why don't you tell us about those? Well, we actually um, started uh, the first Deep Stack event in 2007, um, and uh, the the mindset on that was really 
you know, since the WPT came on board and uh, since 2002, um, players had begun to really educate themselves in poker um, and to really enhance their skill level. And unfortunately, with the um, the tournament formats that were out there, um, it was, you know, very uh, short starting stacks and uh, very abbreviated blind levels. So, you know, players that did have the skills really weren't able to use them um, because those tournaments were basically 80% luck. Um, if, you know, you couldn't wait on the hands that you wanted to play because, you know, you'd blind out. Um, and, and players were really hungry uh, for a for, uh, format, a tournament format, that they could use their skills in. Um, so um, we were actually, you know, the first in, in Vegas and uh, pretty much around the country that uh, decided to put on this deep stack uh, format, the, our deep stack extravaganza. And what it did was it uh, uh, allowed the players to start off with a very healthy starting stack. And uh, the blind levels uh, were uh, really slowed down uh, to a, a pace of, you know, a half-hour levels, 45-minute levels. Mm-hmm. And um, players just went crazy for it uh, because they recognized that they could use their skill level. So um, that uh, went on. The first one was in 2007. We now, um, actually, uh, in 2013, we're going to have uh, five deep stacks. Um, we've had four uh, every year. Players really can't get enough of those. And uh, during the summer, uh, you know, when uh, the World Series of Poker is running, um, our deep stacks are very, very well attended. Um, our numbers are, are huge. Um, you know, we've had we've had playing fields in excess of a thousand players um, per event, and um, they just they just keep on wanting more. So we're just going to keep on giving it to them. Now, what are the buy-in for those events? Well, the buy-ins range um, throughout the year. Uh, the the lowest buy-in would be 300. Um, the highest buy-in that we have, like in the summer, our main event is 5,000, um, and uh, anything in between. But we not only have uh, our regular deep stack events, our noon deep stack events in 2013. Um, the deep stack events are going to uh, start really at 11 o'clock in the morning with limit events. Um, all the limit events will start at 11. The main event will start at 12. Um, we'll have either bounty events or survivor events at 3 o'clock and then have another event at 7 o'clock, which is usually a, a $200 or a $300 uh, no limit. So we have, you know, we have events for everyone's pocketbook and everyone's game of choice. So hopefully we'll be able to, uh, you know, be able to please all of our players and, and offer them what they want. Well, I'm really glad to hear that you've increased the room to 59 tables because you're going to fill it up. I mean, one of the things that I that I really wholeheartedly feel about what's happened to the Venetian and now known as Sands Poker Room is what you have brought to that room in relationship to quality and style and customer service. That's one of the things that that I just find it's elegant that the people really care. Your staff really cares. You have you have translated transmitted that that attention to to the poker players. They're not just players; they are your customers, and you understand customer service. And I think a lot of poker rooms forget that. Well, um, that's always been you know the most important thing. Um, and you know when, when I first started out in Vegas, um, I wanted that. One thing, the customer service, um, to really set us apart, and, and it has. 
Um, and, and you never can kind of rest on your laurels, though. Um, you always have to continue trying to do, uh, you know, more for the players, more for their comfort and convenience. Um, uh, we're currently actually putting in um, uh, power strips underneath the tables, under, underneath each and every poker table, with at least two power outlets per seat so that, you know, when you're sitting there and your phone is dying or your iPad is running out of steam, um, you just go right under the table, plug it into the outlet, and you're set for the duration. So that's, oh, uh, wow. That is fabulous. Fabulous. Right. <laughs> right. And, and uh, so we're in the process of putting those in now. Players are absolutely ecstatic about that. Um, the other thing that we, you know, we put in in the last year or so um, has been uh, the ability for players to use their comp points that they gain in cash play to use those comp points to buy into the tournament. Um, so players are also ecstatic about that. Um, you know, our players get $2 an hour for um, every hour of cash game play that, you know, cash poker that they play. And now they can mount those up and um, use those uh, in, in whatever $10 increments that they, they can um, up to, uh, you know, the buy-in of the tournament. So a lot of players have been using that during our deep stack events um, and also during our uh, our daily tournaments that we have. So they're very, very happy about that. Well, you know, you, uh, you, can, you can certainly hear that you are a poker player as well. And I believe that I remember seeing someplace that, that you really – you really are uh, a cash game player, and your favorite game is horse. Tell me about that. It absolutely is. Um, I, I get um, uh, probably a little bored uh, sometimes, you know, if I'm playing No Limits. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, but um, I do. And uh, horse is, is just, it keeps my attention. Um, it keeps, you know, my mind going. Um, uh, I actually uh, played in the, my first World Series of Poker event which, you know, you'd think at it, it, my age I would have played more. Um, but I, I did that a couple of years ago, um, and I played in the $1,500 horse event. And I think there were something like 780 players in it or whatever. And um, I ended up cashing 20th, which I was, you know, extremely proud of uh, since it was my first uh, World Series event. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I'm going to have to play again this year just because. Uh, oh. But a horse is just it's diversified. Um, you know, it uh, you have to really change gears with every, you know, different type of game that you play. And that just keeps my interest. Okay, now, I know that we're going to have some people who are listening to this who don't really understand horse. Why don't you give us just a quick overview of the game? Okay, what, what horse is is really um, the, the initial stand for each type of game that's played. Uh, the first game is Hold'em. Uh, the second game is Omaha. third game is Raz. The fourth game is Stud. And the fifth game is stud eight or better. And um, typically, uh, in in most venues, um, you will play eight hands uh, of each game. And as as the blinds go up and the andies go up um, uh, on each each round of the games. And um, as I say, you know, you have to you have to really be pretty well versed in all of those. And and some of those are really not played very much anymore. Um, stud is uh, you don't find too many games of that, especially like in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, you may find those more back east. Um, Raz, um, you don't find much much of that at all as a as a cash game. Um, you will find you know tournaments like that in the World Series, but um, and we're actually going to be offering those tournaments in our summer deep stack. 
Um, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, some of those games have, have gone by the wayside. Um, coming from back east, um, Stud was always my favorite game. Um, and uh, it was, you know, the one that, you know, was played the most back there. Yeah, this, um, so is, played, this, this is all played limit, isn't it? This is all limit, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as I say, you know, no limit is, is not my game. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure why I never got the grasp of it. Um, I, I can hold my own, but uh, I don't feel as comfortable as I do in, in limit games. So uh, this is uh, just a natural uh, natural thing, I guess, for me to, you know, like this type of, of mix of games. Well, you know, I really enjoy limit games. One of the things in limit games is that you have the ability to to be able to – it's affordable sometimes for you to – to be correct in drawing with hands. And I think that's one of the things that I really like about Limit is that I can I can play a little differently and and I don't feel sometimes as oh gosh, what is it? under kind of under this microscope with these aggressive players that we have today. And you know, with that in mind, I know that you see some of the most aggressive players in your work. What are the tips for players that are listening to us today? How, how should they, how can they best play against a hyper-aggressive aggressive player today? Well, I think that um, you know, the most important thing that you have to do um, is really establish your table image, first of all. Um, I think that that's extremely important. Um, these aggressive players, um, I mean, they have that, that table image right out of the box, and, and they put a lot of, uh, of fear into the other players at the table. That's their table image. So um, if, if you come back and, you know, first of all, you have to really put a good read on these aggressive players. You know, are they going to, uh, you know, just be trying to, you know, come over the top of you every hand and just divide box or whether they're really solid players. Um, and that's going to determine how you play. But um, for the most part, when I'm playing no limit and if, if you have – a real wild player at the table, very, very aggressive and very, um, you know, unpredictable, um, I really stay out of their way. Um, and I will attend to the other eight players at the table and uh, work my way through that. Um, sometimes you can't, you know, you'll have to you'll have to face that player and, and uh, I would say don't back down. But um, if they're really kind of, and you'll come across those, uh, that you know they're gonna they're gonna go all in on anything and everything. You might be better off working with the rest of the table and kind of staying you know staying back a little bit until you're in a position from a chip standpoint to really take him on and uh, make him back down. So um, it's all about reading the player, figuring out what they're really all about. Um, for, for all intents and purposes, I think no limit is is really not playing your cards as much it is as it is playing the players. Um, you have to know how they think, how they play. Um, when I sit down at a no-limit game, usually I, I won't play a hand um, unless I get aces, and even then I'm a little leery. Um, I won't play a hand for at least two rounds um, because I'm, I'm there just looking and watching and, and seeing what these players do um, because, as I say, it's, it's all about the players. Uh, you, could, you could play your cards blind for, you know, an hour, and as long as you're reading your players, um, that's that's your best option. Um, I've, I've watched many, many of the pros, and um, they're they're not looking at their cards. And I mean, they're looking, but they're not playing their cards. 
Um, they're playing against a particular player, and most most of the time these pros have that clear pegged. Yeah, I, I love it. It sounds like you just you've actually just done one of my lessons on my tutorials and my poker coaching. <laughs> Ah, very good. Yeah, I'm really excited, you know, for for my coaching clients to to hear you say this because I, I, I preach it, you know, I preach it, you know, forget about your cards, you know, you've got to pay attention to those players, get your head out of your cards or out of your butt, you know, and pay attention to the players because it's always about constantly profiling those other players. And one of the things that that I find is that you can't profile them once and be done. You know, you've got to you've got to continually update that profile because the energy changes as things change at the table. People's behavior and play changes. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know all all of the times that you're you're not playing the hand. I mean, you know, typically what do you play? One out of ten or fifteen hands. Mm-hmm. Um, those other times, you better not be reading a poker magazine, or you better not be you know fiddling with the phone. Watch it. Watch the table all the time. Watch the table. Watch what's going on. That's your opportune time when you're not in the hand to figure everybody out. So, um, you know, so many times I see players that will sit down and, and they've got their magazine and they've got their iPad or their iPod or whatever they've got. And I'm saying, what a waste of time. I mean, um, if, if they're truly, unless they really intimately know every player at the table, they're losing out on opportunities. So um, that's, you know, again, that's just my take, but... Uh, that's what I do at the table. Boy, you are absolutely correct, Kathy. I know that the, when I was, um, I, I missed you when I when I was in Las Vegas uh, during 2012. I believe it was my, gosh, I think it was probably early in, in January. I think I was there, and I missed you on on that trip. And uh, I, I went in, and, and I was feeling a little shy actually because it had been a while since I'd been in Vegas. And the room had, you know, the players definitely had this this palpable energy that you could feel when you walk into the room today. And I wanted to play, I wanted to play some some pot limit Omaha high. And uh-huh. you know that's that's a hot game. And I tentatively sat down at the table and I said, okay, I'm just going to sit here and watch for a while. And what I was astonished at is that five of the players pulled out their 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 notebooks. You know, their, yeah. their computer notebooks and started fiddling with them. Now, one of them did it properly. One of them pulled it out, and I believe he was using something like a poker tracker or something like that to, to put in his buy, and then he put it away. And I could uh-huh. tell he was keeping records, and that was just fine. But the other f- four players were had their nose in their electronics. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going, hey... I I know that I can profit from this, and so yeah. it was it was a very profitable outing, and I just sat back and and I spent I probably it's probably 45 minutes before I ever got really engaged in the hand because I wanted to settle in I wanted to let any of those nerves go away because yeah I still get nervous when Absolutely. I sit down yeah I still get nervous and I think that nervous is good because I Absolutely. think that. Yep. I think that, that it heightens our awareness and our alertness. As long as we don't exude fear, I think nervousness is, is helpful because I think it's going back to our basic instincts from caveman days. You know, it's, it's, our, it's our body saying, oh, there's a saber-toothed tiger there. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you're right, though. As long as you don't, uh, you know, exhibit fear at the table, um, you know, you keep all of that uh, nervousness inside. Um, and, you know, just, uh, you know, let, let that adrenaline help you out in observing your players. 
and, and it was really kind of fun. I, I, I made some rounds while I was there to, to several of the card rooms to say hello. And one of the other card rooms, there was a single table tournament. And I love single table tournaments. And, you know, nobody had seen me there for, gosh, I haven't been in town playing for several years because Gregory had had some health issues and, and I stayed closer to home. And I ended up winning this single table tournament. And it was very exciting because I was very quiet during the whole thing. And when everybody else had gone and the, and the dealer and, and the floor were coming over to pay me out the dealer, I just happened to be sitting in seat one, which is not one of my favorite seats because I run in, always run into those boxes with my knees. Right, right. <laughs> and the dealer kind of turns his head to me and said, where did you come from? That <laughs> 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 was probably the, the neatest thing he could have said to me. Well, Absolutely. I'll, I want to talk about women in poker, and also I want to say congratulations on your induction in 2012 into the Women in Poker Hall of Fame. Well, I appreciate that. I, that was a very, very exciting day for me, and uh, I, I am still still kind of on cloud nine about it. Um, it was uh, it was a surprise, uh, uh, obviously to me, um, uh, and you know to be inducted. Uh, into a, an organization like that with, you know, the women that have been inducted so far are uh, tremendous, tremendous profiles in poker. Um, you know, from, from Linda Johnson, uh, J.J. Liu, who was inducted with me this year. Um, I mean, these a lot of these are, are women who have made millions and millions of dollars in poker. Um, and, and uh, you know, some of the biggest names in the industry um, have, have been inducted. So, to be able to join their ranks, um, that really is, 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 was, and will be uh, the high point of my career. Well, I want to let you know that I voted for you, and I, I lobbied for you as well. Well, I thank you for that. I appreciate that. I, you know, I appreciate all the people that did support me in that. Um, you know, it, the poker industry is, um, although it is, you know, national, international, it, it's a huge industry. It's a very small industry as well. Um, it's a very close-knit kind of a family. Um, you know, the people that you, you may not see for five years or, or ten years, um, you know, when you do see them again, it's like old home week. You don't forget them. You don't forget, you know, what they've, what they've done for the industry. Um, and uh, it just, uh, it, it's one of those uh, businesses, I guess, if you'll call it, or industries um, that is... Um, just it's a never-ending group of friends, um, and uh, that's something that you know I've, I've cherished in the industry. Something that really drew me into the industry to begin with, mm-hmm. and uh, it has not disappointed me over the years. Well, you know, it, it's really wonderful to have you as a person who is who is running one of the most successful rooms in the country, in the world, actually, and to have you with us today. And, and I know that you see poker from a very different standpoint, but since you are a poker player, that, that's, that's great as well. But what do you believe poker players must do to keep up with the ever-changing, with, with how poker is always changing? Well, um, I think that, you know, really the, the essence of poker, um, has pretty much stayed the same for years and years, for, for decades. Um, but, you know, the environment of, of poker, uh, how it's played, where it's played, uh, what games are played, um, that, that has changed over the years. And, um, you know, with the onset of, of No Limit that came around, 
Um, I actually do see limit poker coming back. Um, and uh, obviously there's, you know, uh, the the internet poker issues um, that have abounded over the last few years. Um, I think that, you know, above all, um, poker has stayed the same in, in the fact that it brings people together um, in an environment that they would uh, otherwise never experience. Um, poker in itself is... is you know, a game. I mean, what I, what I've always marveled about poker is you can put ten people at a table, and and they can be different ages. You can have a ninety year old and, and a twenty one year old, uh, female or male, uh, no matter what the political or religious beliefs are or whatever, um, and you can have them get along socially at mm-hmm. a table. Um, that is something that there's not too many places where you can experience that. Um, and, you know, as, as a social medium, um, I think that, that poker uh, has, you know, remained that, that element um, where you can go in and sit with people that you don't know, um, get to know them, socialize, um, get up from the table and feel better about it, feel better about the world. So, you know, it, it sounds a little, uh, a little over the top, I guess. Um, but it is such a unifier uh, of people that um, I think it's just it's it's going to stay that way. Um, even if it you know if it's an internet type of of, of poker, it's it's still going to uh, stay that way. Where and I think that people will come to brick and mortars anyway um, because that social environment is enhanced. Well, you know, um, one of the things that I've always said about poker is that it is the ultimate universal equalizer and that's exactly what you're saying right now and and I use that that metaphor with poker when I work with traumatic brain injury disabled veterans and polytrauma veterans ones that polytrauma veterans one that ones that have had traumatic brain injury and might, might be losing losing a limb and I've even worked with spinal cord injury veterans and quadriplegics one of the most interesting thing is if you see people's eyes light up the first time I ever worked with spinal cord injury veterans and in the in the quad ring, wing, it was the most fulfilling experience I'd ever had. I mean, I had always said that poker is this great equalizer, but I never really saw it so profoundly in action. It's when I had these eight people who are in these reclining chairs, and we had card turners for them so that they would bring their cards to them. And I said, look, you know, every one of you can can sit down with people who are able-bodied, and you can compete on an equal scale because it is your mind that's doing this. And I saw the sparkles in their eyes. It was just absolutely astonishing. And I remember in 2007 when I finished in the top women, top four women in, in the main event championship of the World Series, there was a man that finished just before I did who was legally blind, and he had a card turner. Absolutely. So, you know, that's that's one of the things you're talking about. I think that's one of the really beautiful things about poker and that what I find is that what people learn at the poker table, it does enhance and improve their lives as well. I agree. Um, there, there's something about it that um, – and it, it's really, really hard to describe to someone who has never experienced it um, because it, it's, it's, it's really unbelievable. Um, you know, the – the feeling that you get sitting at a poker table 
um, is is one of, of a, it's a camaraderie. Even though those players are playing against each other, mm-hmm. um, there's a camaraderie that comes up that's just, it's, it's as I say, you, you have to experience it to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, it's something, and you, you know, you're talking about quadriplegics and I mean, we've, We've had players, uh, you know, come in that are quadriplegic. We've had players that play in our room that are blind, um, that, um, you know, um, have, you know, everything from, from MS to, uh, you know, other debilitating, uh, illnesses. And they enjoy themselves as much or if not more, uh, than our able-bodied players. And, and we make every accommodation for those players to make their experience enjoyable comfortable and relaxing. Um, so it's, 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 it's important. Um, it's, it's all part of it. Um, and poker as well is, um, you know, even as far as, um, supporting, um, you know, charities and, and this type of thing. Um, you know, we, we just did, a uh, a charity event for, uh, MS, for CP, I'm sorry, for cerebral palsy. And, um, those are the, those are the types of events that really, really make you feel good. Um, you know, you're doing something uh, to to help others, and and people come out like crazy for these events. And um, you know, from celebrity poker players to you know the average Joe who, who plays one two no limit, and uh, they they feel good about participating. They know the money's going to be going to a good cause. Um, you know, we do everything from uh, those types of events to um, the uh, uh, NSPCA. You know, the uh, for animals uh, for the animal shelters. I mean, it's it's just a poker's a community, and they help each other and they support each other. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up charity events because I've been doing some some poker training coupled with charity events. Because one of the things about charity events, you want to get people there and excited, but but oftentimes it'll bring people in that really aren't may not even be as experienced a poker player. And if they can get some training before the event, it increases the number of people who come. In 2012, I worked with uh, one of the, in St. Petersburg, worked with a, a really wonderful group called Poker Dogs, and, and they actually do charity events. And uh, they were doing this one for Special Olympics. That was one of their uh, their causes and I did a four-hour training. Actually, Linda Johnson, Jan Fisher flew in to do it with me. We did a four-hour training before the charity event, and they were able to raise four times as much as they had ever raised in any event before that. That's that's fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and I, I just want to let everybody know that I am available to come and do training complimentary to the charity to help pull people into charity events. And I think that that is, that is a wonderful thing to do. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. As I say, we're a community, and uh, communities help each other out. How would you suggest that poker players prepare for playing in live venues when so many of them have been accustomed to play, playing online? What can they do to keep the odds on their side? Well, um, I think that they have to really familiarize themselves with what live poker is all about. Um, there there have been, you know, especially with the onset of, of the shutdown of, of online poker, um, you know, we've had many players come in that that's all that they played. Um, and they weren't familiar um, with, you know, brick and mortar uh, poker. And uh, 
some of them dove into it a little bit too fast, uh, and uh, they they were not looking for the things that could really help them out. They weren't looking for uh, the tells. They weren't looking for, you know, reading players. It, it's a little difficult to read players online. So um, they weren't they weren't used to that. So they were really at a disadvantage. Um, once they got to the point where, you know, they knew that they had to look at these other players and they had to uh, not, not only figure out how they played, but figure out their mannerisms, figure out, uh, you know, what they do when they have a good hand versus what they do when they have a poor hand. So I think the biggest thing, the biggest challenge uh, for a, a strictly online player is to be able to now read physical tells as well as betting patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and once once they've got that licked, they're, they're, they're pretty much at par with everybody else. Uh, I, I really agree with that. And, I, and you said initially you had said one of the things that people have to do when they sit down at the table is deal with their table image. And I believe that players coming from an online environment to live don't really understand about table image. Why don't you why don't you talk a bit about before we leave today about what players can do to enhance their table image? Well, I think that you know uh, if if players want to have a very strong table image, um, they have to be you know fairly aggressive, um, but they have to uh, you know not be the player who's always going to be you know pulling a bluff or or that type of thing. You have to really, really mix up your game, um, but you have to do it in a very strong, determined fashion. So um, when I when I go to a table and you know after I've kind of tried to figure everybody out, um, I will you know come in with you know a, a premium hand, and I'll be very aggressive, and um, you know players will fold or whatever, and that's that's fine. Um, I, I may or may not show my cards. Typically, I don't ever show my cards. But um, once in a while, I I just may if it if it's a strong hand like you know I'm showing off I got you know pocket kings or whatever. Um, but I will be very uh, the the same aggressive patterns with a medium hand with a mediocre hand, um, and just to see if if the table image is catching on if if there's and table image is really all it it sums it up in one word it's respect um, mm-hmm. it's respect for a player. Um, if you feel that a player knows what they're doing um, and uh, that, you know, if they're uh, going to be coming over the top, that, you know, yeah, odds are that this person has a good hand. Um, they're not, you know, just playing radically. So um, you have to continue to do that for at least the first hour or two that you're at the table. And then you can diversify and you can, you know, you can shake it up a little bit and, and you know, come in with a garbage hand and, and see if you can, you know, buy the blinds or whatever the case may be, and you feel it out as you go along. But the table image has to be one that you're you're a solid player and you're an aggressive player. Uh, so if, if a player decides that they're going to raise and you're still in the hand, odds are that you're not going to call. Odds are is you're either going to fold or you're going to re-raise. Um, so that aggressiveness is going to slow down other players at the table um, at the times that you might want them to slow down. Uh, you're going to re-raise, you know, uh, pre-flop, uh, and you're going to re-raise on the flop to buy an extra card on the turn. Um, I mean, you have to play that that game uh, basically so that you know players are going to respect you and back off. 
I, I love that. That's that's really and, and you're right. It is one word. It's respect. And I think one of the biggest flaws that people have in their game, besides not understanding that, not under, coming from online to live play, not realizing about their table image, not understanding they've got to get the, get their head out of their cards and really pay attention to the other players, play the players, not the cards. But I believe all people have forgotten, but they don't really understand that they've got to they've got to know what's in the pot. Uh, because online poker, you know, it's right there in front of them. And I think that that's one of the big wake-up calls that a lot of players have is that they don't understand how to count the pot. They don't know that they, think that they need to understand that. I mean, how in the world can you determine pot odds? Can you determine if it makes the right sense for you to to call uh, a bet, to call a raise, you know, to go into the hand if you don't have the right pot odds? And you can't know that unless you know what's in the pot. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and the thing that I've found, uh, which probably is what throws me for a loop in No Limit, is the pot odds can change so drastically so quickly um, that you really have to keep on top of it. Um, and, uh, you know, pot odds are absolutely correct. I mean, if you're going to go in with, you know, the second or the third nut, I mean, you're you're going to have to figure out if it's worth your while. Um, and the only way you can do that is, you know, like you say, you have to know what's in that pot. Um, granted, you don't have to know to the dollar, mm-hmm. but you do have to know, uh, you know, approximately what's in that pot and whether your bet uh, or your call going into it is going to be worth it if you don't have, you know, if you don't have the nuts. So, um, but it, actually, that's so much easier to do in limit than it is in no limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but again, you know, in, in no limit, it works as well. It's just that, you know, after you figure the the pot odds are correct for you to, you know, come in with a call or a raise, um, the pot can double, triple, or quadruple the next player to your left. So um, that's an ever-changing uh, equation of, of pot odds, uh, yeah, which, think, which is challenging. Yeah, I think one of the things that people have to realize in No Limit is you have to make a decision really early on if this is a hand that's worth you committing all your chips for, especially if, if you're early in the action. Uh, and if there are people yet yet to act after you, and I think that's one of the things that people that people don't realize. And one last thing I'm going to ask you before we leave today, one, I promise this is the last thing, is sure. <laughs> is about game selection. Now I, let's let's assume that I'm coming into your room, the Sands Poker Room at the Venetian. I'm coming in here and I'm not sure what I want to play. I'm going to walk around the room. Let's say I'm going to walk around the room and kind of look and see what's what's happening at the tables. Tell me what I want to look for to see where I might best fit or what what games might best work for me. Well, I think, you know, it's going to depend on, on the player, obviously. Um, uh, your your bankroll, how much you're willing to put into the game, whether you're a limit, no limit, pot limit player, um, or, or now uh, the newest thing is open-faced Chinese poker. Um, and um, it's it's important to... Um, you know, once you've selected the game that's, you know, that fits your pocketbook um, and fits your, your game choice, um, obviously at a, at a venue, say, as, as the Sands Poker Room, there are multiple tables of that particular game. Um, and my advice would be to, to, you know, don't just jump into a game. Um, look around at the tables that are available. Now, granted, you know, if you're on the list for a game, you're going to be seated in the first table uh, that's available, but if you've picked out the table that you'd really like to be on because you see weak players or you see 
a type of play that you know that you can you can handle and and profit from, um, you put in for a table change as soon as you can and get onto that table. Um, but uh, there's you know there's so many games out there now that that really fit everyone. Um, I would say your, your novice players should probably jump into uh, a limit game if they're not familiar with the game of poker per se, uh, because that will limit their their liability as far as you know what they're they could possibly lose. Um, if, if you're strictly in the limit player, you know, lower limits, one, two, no limit, um, you know, buy-ins 100 to 300. So you know pretty much what, you know, what, what your max is that you're going to lose. Um, figure out what you're willing to risk uh, for that day's session. And then once you do get in the game, figure out how much you want to win. Um, and, and that's so important for, for new players as well. You know, they get on a little rush or, or whatever, and they've doubled or they've tripled their initial buy-in, and they will continue to play and continue to play and continue to play until they've lost it. Um, know what you want to win, know what you want to lose, and you're going to walk out of that card room a happy player, and you'll be back again. Oh, that—that that is that is where we need to stop today because that's absolutely it. And I teach a mind shift exercise to my coaching clients. And that's this, is that when you have that thought that it's time to get up, what you do is you put your feet flat on the floor, you put your hands beside of your legs on the top of the chair, you push up and you get your butt out of that seat and you walk away. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Players play way too long sometimes. And, uh, I mean, you know, even your, your professional players that, you know, play for a living, um, they really have to play long sometimes because they have a budget, basically. They know that they have to, you know, uh, either win so much that day or they have to uh, minimize their loss to a certain point. So they'll play, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours um, until they've maybe won back what they lost earlier in the day, and then they're going to call it a day without having any winnings. But for them, it is not a lost day. Um, it, you know, they've, they've broken even for that day. So um, professional players are, are a lot different from you know, your, your casual players, um, and the, the points of view should be uh, significantly different as well. Absolutely. Well, Kathy Raymond, I want to thank you. You bring a world of knowledge, and can I entice you to come back on with me again? Absolutely, Donna. It was just a lot of fun. I miss you, and I need oh. to get you back out to Vegas and say hi. Well, fine. Just the next time you hear of a, of a charity tournament out there that they would like to raise some additional capital, have them get in touch with me, and I'll come out and and do a, a complimentary training for the people that are coming into the tournament, and that will help to increase the number of people who are attending. That sounds excellent, Donna. I can't think of anybody better to do it. Thank you. And we have had Kathy Raymond with us, the Executive Director of the Sands Poker Room at the Venetian Resort Casino in Las Vegas. A fabulous room, great hospitality, now 59 tables. I can hardly, hardly wait. And this is Donna Blevins, your poker mindset coach, the big girl of poker. Talk to you next time.